Good day and welcome to this week's episode of Strictly Legal on WESN Content Capital. I am your host, Rhonda Donor. Once again, I'm happy to bring the law and you. Uh, today is the Thursday after Easter and I hope that you had a great Easter weekend and you are keeping safe and sanitized. Uh, of course, you can stream us on WESN CC as well as all social media platform, our podcast, Strict Legal with Rondel Donoa. Uh, today, we are going to speak about firearm usage um, and the law uh, in terms of how can you apply for firearm users license, what um, is the law regarding firearm use, whether or not uh, citizens in Toronto Tobago have a right um, a constitutional right, as we say, to bear arms. And I have a very special guest with me in studio today. His name is uh, Mr. Cedric Neptune, attorney at law, um, who has over 20 years experience. Uh, he's a senior partner in law firm of Neptune and Neptune Attorneys at Law in San Fernando. Um, he practices family law, property law, non-contentious, probate law, immigration, criminal, and a plethora of laws. Uh, he is, or he was a former um, trying to be police service um, officer where he worked in several different branches and sections including the guard and emergency branch and the homicide bureau of investigations uh, he also lectured um, in training programs at the ttps the port authority of Trent tobago the board of inland revenue uh, he's a holder of an executive master's in business administration from the arthur Lockjack graduate school of business and he served as a representative of the Trent tobago police service on the cabinet appointed committee to oversee the implementation of the amendments of the Firearms Act in Toronto Tobago in 2006. Uh, Mr. Neptune is currently the inspector of prisons. So he's a very important person with his bodyguards outside. No, I'm just joking. Uh, so uh, without further ado, I'd like to welcome Mr. Neptune to the set. Good morning. Good morning, Mr. Danawa. How are you doing? I'm fine, I'm fine. Well, I mean, it's, 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 been, it's been a while, but you're here. You, you, you're here where many greats have sat. Yes, yes. And <laughs> Hope I could do justice to it. I'm sure you would. Um, so, so we're speaking about firearms, right? Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. and the, the 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 law relating to um, the usage of um, firearms in that context. Mm -hmm. Now, I mean, I know it's an obvious question, well, an obvious answer to this question, but of course, many of citizens may mm -hmm. may ask: um, Are citizens do citizens have a right to, to as we quote, constitutionally bear arms, um, as is the case in the United States? Well, not in Trinidad and Tobago. There is no constitutional right um, to bear arms. There is no constitutional right to be issued with a firearm user's license as well. The only way you can lawfully use a firearm, say for yourself that you are a member of the protective services or customs included and so on, uh, the only way you can lawfully use a firearm in Trinidad and Tobago is if you are issued with a firearm user's license by the Commissioner of Police. The Commissioner of Police is the only person in, in Trinidad and Tobago authorized to issue firearm user's license to citizens uh, of Trinidad and Tobago. So unless you have a license either as a firearm user substantively or as a firearm user employee certificate, um, meaning like persons who work with the security companies and so on, unless you have that kind of approval, you are not entitled to use a firearm in Trinidad and Tobago. Uh, say for yourself, as I say, uh, yeah, protective services, member of the cadets doing um, drills, member of the forensic science center testing firearms and so on, those persons are exempted under the legislation, but the youth and carry firearms in Trinidad and Tobago, generally you need a license. 
Now we've seen that there has been a, a whole <coughs> hullabaloo, as we call it, about um, the the fact that there has not been equitable distribution um, of a license, or rather, there has mm -hmm. been a lot of um, corruption. Let's put it that way mm -hmm. in the service. Now, if you can walk us through before, how does one acquire in terms of um, mm -hmm. applying, or what what are the steps um, or procedure mm -hmm. um, that one has to um, take in consideration when applying for a fire mm -hmm. business license? Okay, well, before you. If you are desirous of applying for a firearm user's license in Tobago, you must complete the um, prescribed form. The prescribed form is in the legislation, and the form is addressed to the Commissioner of Police. Uh, the Commissioner of Police, upon a person seeking to obtain a firearm user's license, will be required to issue a provisional permit, a provisional permit for the um, applicant. Once they issue a provisional permit, and the provisional permit will be uh, before it is issued the premises, you are required to provide certain documents. So you are required to provide a certificate of character, good character. You are required to um, provide two photographs, um, any other documents that the commissioner of police prescribe, uh, which will include information as to uh, where you live and so on. And if you are residing with uh, a spouse or any other adults in the house, the investigation will require that those persons uh, give basically statements um, indicating a non-objection, so to speak, and as well as any other uh, requirement, whether it's psychometric testing review, medicals, as required by the commissioner. Once the commissioner is satisfied that those documents are in order and there are no convictions or no pending matters uh, for criminal conduct before the courts, the commissioner will issue a provisional permit once they feel that your application is justified. Because the commissioner has to determine that it is justified. And when you say a provisional permit, um, mm -hmm. is, is there a time um, stamp on that particular yes, permit? Yes, but the provisional permit is valid for two months. During which period of time the permit, what the permit does, it gives you authorization to train in the use of a firearm. So you are permitted to discharge a firearm on specified areas in terms of a range under the supervision of the holder of a firearm user's license. So that permit allows you, so to speak, to train. Once you have completed the training and the, the instructor is satisfied that you are competent to manage and to use a firearm, the instructor issues what we call a certificate of competence. And it's only upon the issuing of the certificate of competence, then the commissioner can fully consider whether or not to grant you a firearm user's license. So it is not automatic. It is not because you have a provisional permit you are going to get a license. That is not how it works. The commissioner still has to assess everything in totality. And once the commissioner is satisfied that the application is justified, whether it's for protection, personal protection, uh, whether it's for hunting purposes, in terms of shotguns and so on, uh, once the commissioner is satisfied that that is justified, it's only then the commissioner of police will issue you a firearm user's license, which will authorize you to purchase and own a firearm in China and Tobago. And, and, and these persons who give the um, the all clear um, mm -hmm. in terms of certifying you as um, uh, trained to the specification, mm -hmm. uh, are they, do they have to be registered? They have to be registered. The firearm instructors have to be registered. Usually, um, those firearm instructors are persons who are either firearm dealers or persons who have um, firearm ranges in Trinidad and Tobago, or persons who are otherwise certified, because there are persons who don't have a dealer's license and who don't own a range, but they are certified um, because they have done the necessary training. Either they were members of the Trinidad and Tobago Defense Force, 
or they were members of the Trinidad and Tobago Police Service, you find a lot of the instructors are either former members or even sometimes current members of these um, protective agencies. And once they are qualified, they are registered with the Commissioner of Police, and then the Commissioner of Police could accept their quote-unquote certification of the applicant. And in terms of the, uh, how many of, is it firearm that you can possess? Is mm -hmm. it that, um, is there a cap in terms of how many um, licenses that you can possess or how does it work in terms of if you are to um, uh, possess more than one mm -hmm. firearm? Well, you have one firearm user's license, but the firearm user's license could have a variation. So for instance, you may have a person who has a pistol, which is ideally for personal protection or that person may have a pistol for the purposes of um, target shooting and so on, because they may have a rifle club, they may be engaging in competition, as the case may be. But you can still also have a variation of that license, which will um, give you a shotgun, which uh, is primarily used for hunting purposes. There are other persons, there are persons who have shotguns who are probably not hunters, but generally, when somebody applies for a shotgun, um, over the years that I was in the system, um, generally it's for hunting purposes, so that there, there's no specific caps uh, on, on firearm, but uh, I mean, the reality is the, the, the practice of persons having several firearms, um, five and six firearms or four and five firearms, um, it may have happened in the distant past, uh, but it's certainly something of, of recent vintage, as far as my memory um, serves me. Yes, because I would have, we would have seen that the former um, commissioner um, mm -hmm. would have boasted that there, he would have um, approved many persons with more than one mm -hmm. um, firearm, and, and um, that, that has caused a lot of um, public... Uh, disquiet. Dis yeah, disquiet in, in, in that sense. Um, now, in terms of uh, persons who misuse mm -hmm their license firearm. What mm. are the consequences of, or penalties relating to that? Or well, what circumstances come well, with someone your, your firearm user's license um, is to use your firearm lawfully. I mean, I say lawfully, if it's for hunting purposes, for hunting, if it's the protection of yourself, if your life is in imminent danger, um, your firearm is for that purposes. If it is you go outside the legal framework, so to speak, or you use your firearm to commit a robbery or to threaten somebody, then you are subject to the same laws as an uh, illegal firearm holder, so to speak, would be subject to. Uh, so you are, your license allows you to operate within the legal framework, lawful protection of yourself, lawful protection of other persons in terms of your family, property, as the case may be, but certainly not for any criminal offense uh, to unlawfully threaten people or to relieve people of their property, um, you know, what we call robberies and so on. Once you um, go outside that, you are treated just as if the firearm itself was not legal. And therefore, you, um, is it that is a temporary suspension or they remove, you take away your license? Um, right. Absolutely. Well, the, the, the Commissioner of Police, I believe, under Section 21, or under the legislation, I believe, is Section 21, um, can suspend. Uh, a firearm user's license, the holder of a license. Uh, so I believe there are allegations of that nature made against any individual, then the commissioner certainly has the power to suspend your license and seize your firearm until the determination of those matters. And um, if you feel aggrieved in any way, or you feel that the commissioner may have acted unlawfully, there are certainly, you certainly have recourse to the courts, um, 
uh, to try and ventilate that particular issue. But the commissioner, I would think, would be well within his rights if serious allegation of improper conduct is made against any holder of a firearm user's license to um, at least suspend that license and confiscate that firearm until the determination of, of the, the matter. Now, now, we've had a recent occurrence <coughs> where there has been a double murder, um, sorry, suicide, which is mm -hmm. um, in Central, and uh, whereby one member of the protective service um, mm -hmm. would have shot his wife and himself. Mm -hmm. uh, now, what is happening is that a lot of persons are commenting that there was a situation, I think, two years ago, where mm -hmm. the same individual um, would have accidentally shot himself. Mm -hmm. um, and persons were <coughs> asking why is it at that time the firearm wasn't um, taken away, mm -hmm. quote-unquote, from him. Um, is that enough grounds for a firearm to be, uh, for your license to be suspended and your um, device to be taken away? Well, well, I don't have all the facts on that. Yes. Um, so let me seek to comment in a general, general sense. Certainly. Um, now, in that particular incident, I'm aware of the incident of which you speak. Now, certainly once a firearm is discharged, an investigation must take place. If it's involving a police officer, an officer of a first division officer, um, that is assistant superintendent and above, will conduct an investigation. Uh, general member of the public, there would be an investigation. So an investigation, I would think I'll be surprised if an investigation wasn't conducted. Um, once the investigation is conducted, then a determination has to be made, whether or not it was really an accident, or whether or not um, there was something, as, the, as my mother used to say, something in mortar more than the pestle. Yes. Right? Now, once the investigation has been completed and the, the powers that be, they are satisfied that it was an accident. I, I could see no lawful reason to confiscate the firearm or to suspend the license. If, however, um, other factors um, presented that suggested that it perhaps may not have been an accident or there was something untoward, then surely there would have been a duty to, to confiscate the firearm. Uh, as far as that particular incident is concerned, I'm not certain whether the investigation was conducted. Uh, like I said, I'd be surprised if it wasn't, but I'm not sure if it was conducted and what the results were and whether the results dictated uh, that the firearm license be suspended and the weapon confiscated. But in a general <coughs> sense, it has to be investigated first. Mm -hmm. uh, because, I mean, uh, at least, at least one, one um, comment I was looking at is that, well, you are protect your officer of, um, of the protective service, mm -hmm. therefore there's a higher degree um, mm -hmm. of, of attention and care when operating um, your device, um, mm -hmm. your firearm, sorry. And is, 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 that, is it that the standard that is used when they're investigating persons, particularly in the protective mm -hmm. service? Yeah, well, I mean, as I said, to whom much is given, much is expected. So certainly you would expect a certain level of competence by all firearm users, um, license holders. You expect a certain level of competence. Uh, but surely, based on the fact that in addition to someone having a firearm user's license, if you're a member of the protective services and you have use of your firearm on a daily basis, you will also, I would suspect, even before you get your, what we call FUL, that you are using the government firearms or the firearm issued by your particular agency, whether it's police, defense force, etc., on a daily basis. Um, there's also a higher level of training, particularly if you're in a specialist section. Uh, so you get the av more training than the average um, citizen. So one would expect a higher degree of, I would say, efficiency and competency in the, in the use of firearms. So uh, when you are investigating any allegation of a discharge, um, 
of a firearm by a member of the protective services. It's certainly through those lens that, that you will be looking at because you are looking at this person who is not, as we say, ordinary, has yeah. additional skills, has been exposed to additional training, and, and so on. So certainly that would come to bear on your investigations, um, but it certainly doesn't detract from the fact that sometimes mistakes happen. And, and, and mm -hmm. let's, let's turn to now the issue of um, corrupt practices, particularly mm -hmm. um, in light of there being um, a recently concluded, I'm not sure if it's concluded as yet by investigation mm -hmm. in terms of the opera, um, operationalization of the firearms unit. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, in, in a leak um, report, um, there was certain um, assertions that, that members of the protective service or department civilians had um, powers that, should, that they should not have had when it mm -hmm. comes to granting or when it comes to, to, um, to, to fast-tracking your application, um, allegations of bribe, etc. Mm -hmm. um, and there are a lot of citizens who are complaining right now that, mm -hmm. listen, what is happening? We, we, we have a, well, not a right, but we want to protect ourselves because of crime. Mm -hmm. um, what is, what is your take on that particular um, mm -hmm. investigation? Um, in light of the fact that now we've, 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 it's, it's unnoted that there has been a lot of corruption in mm. that department. All right, well, I mean, certainly there have been allegations of corruption. Uh, uh, no one has been placed before the court as yet. Um, based on, I mean, it is public knowledge that an audit is ongoing in the department, and certainly uh, an audit, by definition, will drill down into the issue of um, firearms and, and, and these recipients and these circumstances uh, because every application or every applicant rather would have a file and the file is supposed to contain certain things in terms of from the provisional permit, the relevant documentation and so on and they would certainly look at the, the date of application and, and the processes to get to the point of the issue of firearms. So those investigations will certainly uh, take their course and um, Whatever the investigations reveal, uh, then certainly uh, if the investigation reveals improper conduct, then that has its place too in terms of the courts and the police will do what they have to do as far as that is concerned. But there's certainly, as you say, there have been several allegations of um, corrupt practices. And they remain allegations yeah. and until and until they have um, be resolved, but in the interim, there are persons, as you say, who have applications pending before the the um, the commissioner. And, 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 and for years, and mm -hmm. for years, yeah. and, and, and we, I mean, we have seen mm -hmm. where, or even I mean, people talk, mm -hmm. and then some people will be like, "Well, I got my users license in two months or in a month," yeah. you know, and, and therefore that I mean, persons who follows the law. Mm. and don't know anybody because you know in our society or at least um if there's a saying you have to know somebody or somebody mm. have to know you yeah. right and mm. and it seems as though um of course until proven otherwise that that was the the, the course mm. of action in um mm. in, in the unit but i mean i i have heard i've heard some of the rumors i've heard about persons who claim to have gotten the fire i mean as they put it in record time um I don't have the facts in terms of um, in terms of specific dates and so on, but there have been those allegations. And um, what what that does really is that it creates um, some level of unease among persons who have application pending um, for a very long time. Because I I would suspect the proper thing is that if you have a firearm 
application for farm users that is inside, then the, the commission should take a decision. Either they give you it or they're not giving you it. If they grant the license, uh, then there are no issues. Uh, if they are not granting the issues, the license, sorry, then they should notify you so then you can adopt the other course, which is an appeal to the farm appeal board because the legislation does make provision. If somebody refuses a firearm, uses a license to appeal. And that's, that's an active board. At the, this, at, but the board at, is, at I, I know it was Correct. active recently. I'm not certain whether it is active at present, but uh, it's a three member board usually appointed by the, um, the president. Uh, the chairman is usually an attorney of, I think, 10 years practice or more. And once you apply for a firearm and you are refused, you can make an application before the board to review that, that refusal. And uh, once the board is satisfied that the firearm should be granted, then the board could actually direct the commissioner to issue you a firearm license on such terms and conditions as the board thinks fit. Um, so certainly if you have an application before the uh, our death use term was on the death of the commissioner, then it, it falls on the commissioner to make a decision one way or the other. Either they grant you the license, and I say no issue arises to grant you the license, and if they are not granting you the license, to at least indicate to you that you have not been granted the license, so you would know what steps you can take. Um, if you feel that your position is so fortified and, the, and your uh, application is justified. And, and, and let's turn to now um, legal firearms. Of course, any firearm mm -hmm. that you don't have a license, yeah. um, that you have a license to carry is illegal. Mm -hmm. um, now, there has been several amendments um, to the Firearms Act. I mean, mm -hmm. I know more, more recently um, there was an amendment in terms of, um, and you can correct me um, whether or not one has a right to bail um, mm -hmm. If they are um, held with a firearm, I don't know if it's more than once or twice. But well, could you just, second, um, yes. yeah, mm -hmm. could you just, yeah. um, mm -hmm. just uh, mm -hmm. clarify that point in terms right. of what are the mm -hmm. what the legislation is currently? Right. So if you, I mean, if you have your, I mean, there's presumption of innocence. Uh, but surely, if you are charged with a firearm, and you are pending firearm matter. Uh, before the court, and then you are charged with a subsequent, um, the court has a discretion to grant you bail or not, and oftentimes the court would not grant you bail um, while you have a second pending firearm matter or firearm related matters uh, before the court, and the court is well witnessed, right? The prosecution, whether it's a police officer um, acting on behalf of the state or the state council in terms of the DPP office, would be well within their right to object to bail. Um, if you have pending fire matters pending, um, and you are brought before the court with other fire matters. But the, the legislation that the Sunset Court set on actually um, prohibited the grant of bail for, uh, I think, was 120 days. So the, the court didn't have a discretion. Uh, but the courts, even the absence of that um, particular, I would say, rigid piece of legislation, the court has been uh, engaged in, I would say, a fairly decent balancing exercise in terms of the grant of bail with persons with pending um, firearms um, matters as opposed to persons who are first-time offenders. Uh, the court has been exercising that discretion uh, from, from my experience in practicing the criminal court in a fairly even-handed manner um, thus far. And in terms of the consequences, or sorry, not the consequences, but the penalties mm -hmm. um, if found guilty um, mm -hmm. for possession of, of, of firearm is it does it is it is it based on the type of firearm mm -hmm. how what what sort of discussion that the court uses well the, the court if somebody is found guilty of the position of firearm the court engages in a sentencing exercise the court sentence based on whether the individual before the court and what do i mean by that uh, there may be a situation where somebody comes to the court this is their first time 
offense, um, the firearm may be unloaded, the firearm may have been um, found in their private premises. The court looks at all those factors. So some of those factors um, will impact on the court's determination on what is a fair and reasonable tariff, as we will say, or, or penalty to impose. However, there may be aggravating factors, which the court is duty bound to take into consideration as well. For instance, the person may be a repeat offender. The firearm may have been used in the commission of an offense. The firearm may have been used in a public place. Um, the firearm may have been discharged with um, children around, with many persons around. So the court looks at all those aggravating factors in determining whether or not to prescribe um, will you say a non-custodial sentence or a short custodial sentence or a longer custodial sentence. So the, uh, because the court looks at the prevalence of the offense the, the, uh, in terms of the, the need to deter persons and, and so on. And the court looks at the totality and the court is expected to, to look at the totality of the circumstances before it uh, in terms of the individual and the facts to determine what is a fair and reasonable punishment as far as that particular individual or individuals are concerned. And, and, and in, your, um, I mean, in your experience, because you, you do a lot of criminal type matters as well, mm -hmm. uh, how does the, um, or rather, is the Firearm Act, is, the, does, is the amendment to that Firearm Act really a deterrent mm -hmm. um, to, to crime? Because, I mean, I know the government has tried so many different legislations mm -hmm. to deter persons from committing crime by, by enforcing this non-bailable mm -hmm. um, type offenses. But is it working? Well, I mean, if the issue of a non-bailable offense, so to speak, for, um, for a, a firearm offense, in my mind, the jury is still out as to whether or not that by itself, and I would, I would venture to go out on a limb to say that by itself, making a firearm offense non-bailable um, by itself would not solve um, crime. And we have to be careful too in terms of striking the balance, um, in terms of taking away from the court the discretion to grant bail totally. Uh, uh, a judicial officer should be trained enough to look and assess a situation and determine whether to grant bail or not, as the case may be, because the reality is, and the facts remain, not everybody who is brought before the court by a police officer is guilty of an offence. Those are the facts. Whether you want to accept it or not, the fact of the matter is there have been many instances um, which have been pronounced on by the court, both in terms of matters before the criminal division and matters before the civil division, where citizens have been wrongfully charged. Um, and I shouldn't say wrongfully, maliciously, maliciously charged yes, um, by police officers and brought before the court. So if you um, prescribe a situation where you literally tie the hands of a judicial officer and say that bail cannot be granted, to me, I don't think it's the best approach. Um, it should be in the purview of the judicial officer to look at the circumstances, look at the facts of the matter and determine whether in this instance um, I would grant bail as opposed to not granting bail in another instance. I think the public also needs to be sensitized mm -hmm. um, in terms of the presumption of innocence as yeah. well. Mm -hmm. um, also, the fact that I think because murders are, are now, I mean, it's Beautiful. almost a way of life. So, mm -hmm. I, so mm -hmm. this is why um, the public feel as though one should not be granted bail, but at mm -hmm. the end of the day, there's due process yeah. um, in the law. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that is the essence, uh, one of the considerations as far as the, the whole 
um, core therapy, the surgeon and, and the grant of murder, and the, what the core therapy is basically saying is that don't remove it from the judicial officer. Give the judicial officer the opportunity to assess this. And don't tie the hands of the judicial officer, let the judicial officer, whether it's a master or a judge in certain chambers, let, give them that opportunity to look at the facts um, present it um, properly before the court and determine whether or not bail should be granted, as the case may be. Because, I mean, yes, there are repeat offenders, we accept that, and that is not um, isolated to Trinidad and Tobago, there are repeat offenders, um, but I say surely you don't want a situation where a judicial officer has no discretion uh, to grant bail, because even the sunset clause provision that exists before, uh, and let me just say sunset clause, uh, just for you. Okay, sunset clause meant, meant that um, they had a situation where uh, the judicial officer could not have granted bail. Once you have charged with one offense of firearm, immediately the firearm, and you are charged with a second offense, uh, the judicial officer could not grant you bail for 120 days. Um, but that was only valid for a particular period. Uh, so after the expiration, I think it was of two years, it was not renewed, it wasn't supported in the parliament, and so that's why they say the sunset clause, the sunset on that legislation is no longer um, applicable. But in a situation where uh, you have persons uh, charged before the court, you want the judicial officer, as I said, to be able to assess the matter properly and determine whether or not to grant this individual bail. And, and, and I believe that is how it should be uh, because the judicial officer has a function, as we are say in local parlance, let them fellas do their work. Indeed, <coughs> let them do their work. As uh, Sergio, mm -hmm. we, are, we are out of time um, mm -hmm. with this and, and uh, we appreciate that um, you coming on set to just mm -hmm. give an overview um, mm -hmm. clearly in terms yeah. of one firearm and also the law relating to its usage sure. as well. So thank you so much for gracing us, Mr. Dude. You're welcome. It was good to be here. Indeed. Um, it's a wrap, guys. You have been watching Strictly Legal on WESN Content Capital. I'm your host, Shonda Donover. Um, once again, see you next time. Be safe always. God bless. Thank you.